Gus Abithi um, and Elsie were the couple that Paula and I went to India with uh, almost two years ago. And uh, they have experienced a profound loss in the loss of their oldest son. And um, would appreciate your prayer. He's 28 years old. And uh, the funeral was yesterday. And uh, I know that they would appreciate being upheld in prayer. So if you would join with me in upholding them before the Lord, um, I would appreciate it. And I know that they would appreciate it as well. Well, let's take our Bibles and we will turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And as we come to this text, we find a text that shares with us some important concepts concerning faith. Now, many would see this passage as a definition of faith. I see it more as a description of faith. And we're going to discuss this morning what faith means and how faith is characterized in the life of the believer. But before we do that, let's go to our Lord in a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for this text. We thank You that faith is an essential part of our entrance into a relationship with You. That You have revealed Yourself to man in many ways, but ultimately You have revealed Yourself in the person of Jesus Christ. And it is faith in Him that gives us entrance into that personal and real relationship with You. So Father, this morning as faith is discussed and described for us in this text, help us to understand what it means. And Father, help us to follow the examples that You set forth in Your Word as those who have followed in faith. May we be those who follow in faith as well. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What is faith? When we look at the word in the original language, we find that faith can mean to trust, to believe, even to entrust ourselves to something. As a matter of fact, one Greek word is translated believe, faith, many things in the New Testament, but it all means basically the same thing. It means looking at something and accepting it as true. That's the idea of faith. Now, faith requires one more thing. Not just looking at something and accepting it as true, but there has to be an unseen element to what we accept as true. You see, if you see how something completely works out, how it comes to pass and there are no questions, no faith is involved. You look and you see and you say, okay, I've seen with my own eyes, I've heard with my own ears, now I know this to be true. No faith is involved in that. Faith has to have an element to where you accept something as true even though you haven't seen the outcome. And that's what the Scripture talks about in this text. Those who believed even though they didn't see everything that was done for them. Now, it's important for us to understand this. Many people say, look, if I could just see everything, then I would believe. Or if I could see more, then I would believe. I would refer you to the Old Testament. We have a case study of those who saw visible miracles from God and a visible manifestation of God on a daily basis, the children of Israel. Yet what happened when the children of Israel came up to the promised land 
And they were to trust God to give the land that He had promised over to them. What happened? They failed to believe. They failed to trust. Faith trusts. The unseen was going into the promised land. They should have trusted God to bring them into the promised land to finish what He had promised based on the evidences that they had seen in the past. But they couldn't trust God for the unseen. What we're going to see this morning are those who did. Now, they weren't perfect. They didn't bat a thousand as far as trusting God. But what we do see are people who truly placed their faith in Him. As we look at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 12, we're first of all going to discuss the concept of faith, and then a little bit later we're going to see some case studies in faith. So let's look at the concept of faith first. When we look at this passage, we find that the Word of God shares with us a real understanding of what faith is like. And notice how this is described for us in this text. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Isn't that a great understanding of faith? Faith is something that will choose to trust what cannot be seen. And really what we find is faith does the following things. First of all, faith counts on hope being fulfilled. Now, by hope, in the context of this passage, hope refers to the promises of God. When we look through the book of Hebrews, we have seen hope used several times. And hope always refers to an understanding, an expectation that God will deliver on His promise. So what faith does is it looks at the promise of God. It looks at that which is set before us where God promises this will happen. And then faith says, I count on these things happening. I trust God and His Word. I trust what He said. It's an outlook, though, that always produces an outcome. You see, here's the important thing about faith. If I say that I believe something and then do the polar opposite, do I really believe? If I went up to a guy that was a reckless driver and had a reputation for being a reckless driver, and I said, man, I believe that guy would kill me if I got in the car with him, and then climbed in the car, do I really believe he's going to kill me? Not unless I have a death wish. Our faith influences our actions. And that's something we need to really grasp about faith. Faith is not a collection of words or ideas. Faith is an understanding, a commitment to the truth that directly affects our decision-making and the way we live. So when the text here says faith is being sure of what we hope for, what it means sure to the point of affecting our worldview, our understanding. When we have faith, it's going to be directly evidenced by our actions. And this is something that James said. Someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Do you get what James is saying and really what the writer of Hebrews is saying? Faith produces outlook. 
behavior. There is an outcome to our faith. And so, when the Word of God says that we are sure of what we hope for, it's saying so much more than just looking and saying, yeah, that's, that's probably going to happen. It's looking and saying, I am committed enough to the idea that the hope that God has held out for me in His Word, it's such a sure thing, I'm willing to bet my life on it. I'm willing to act on what God has said. That's being sure, isn't it? We're sure enough to allow it to, behave, to, to change the way we behave. That's what God is talking about in this text. But then, notice the text goes on. It also commits to believing things beyond our senses. Look at what the Scripture said. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. As I said moments ago, faith requires the unseen. We need to trust what God has said, even if things around us or our senses tell us that it might not happen. Story after story in the Bible reinforces this idea. How often have we seen people do things because they lost faith and disaster struck because they didn't trust God for the unseen. It's a theme that repeats from the Old Testament on through to the New Testament. And we see it every day ourselves. God says something. We ask ourselves, how can this be? And then we waver in our faith and we find a challenge. God wants us to be people who trust Him for the unseen, because if we're not trusting Him for the unseen, we become wavering, shaky. The Word of God describes it as double-minded. Again, in the book of James, James invites us, if we lack wisdom, to ask God who gives generously. And then he says this in verses 6 and 7. When he asks, he must believe and not doubt Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. Now look at the description. He is double-minded and unstable in all he does. You see, if I have to say to God, God, I don't see this working. Show me how everything's going to work out and I'll believe. I have no faith. But if I look at it and say, God, I don't see how this is going to work, but I trust you for it, huge amount of faith. And let's face it, faith is easy when there's no test. When everything's going smooth and everything's fine, isn't it easy to say, yeah, I trust God. But man, in those times where we're challenged, we're afflicted, where we struggle, Faith is difficult. God is calling us to be people who are certain of the unseen. We don't have to see every little piece of the puzzle put in place to trust God. We give Him the benefit of the doubt on the things that we can't understand. We give Him the benefit of the doubt on the things that we can't see working into place. We trust God and entrust ourselves to Him. We don't abandon Him when things don't go the way that we 
hoped that they would or thought that they would. And a lot of Christians set themselves up for profound disappointment because we work out in our mind and according to our senses the way things should be. And then when God doesn't deliver on what we expect, we become disillusioned, double-minded, unstable in all we do. God wants us to be certain of the unseen. He wants us to be certain of Him, to find His promises and count on those promises. This is what God calls us to do as His children. But then the text moves on. As it continues, it shares with us the character and power of God that we see through faith. And it begins by talking about how God commends and rewards the faithful. And this is an important part of faith. Why? Sometimes we look and we see the evil get ahead. We look and we say, how is following God when I struggle so much? Better than Joe Schmo over here. Everything seems to go his way. He parties, he has fun, he does whatever he wants to do. Here I am struggling, and there he is doing whatever he wants and seems to be having the time of his life. How does that work? Here's the answer. We trust God for the long term. We trust God for the unseen, the eternal. We invest our things in the future, not in the present to just see them blown away. God shares this concept throughout Scripture. And so what he's telling us here, by this or with this, the ancients were commended. What he's sharing with us is a perspective. Again, it's faith. It's trusting God that the things that I do for God will see their reward one day. It may not be in the present, but frankly, sometimes it is. But it will certainly be in the future. Faith trusts God, and it goes through the trials and afflictions and difficulties of the day, knowing that there's a better day coming, because God has promised that. So we're willing to put up with all of the difficulty and harshness of this world, knowing that God rewards the faithful. Some of you are going through difficulty right now. It might be in a relationship. It might be in your job. It might be due to a lack of a job. It might be in your finances. I know as pastor, I've talked to many of you who are struggling at this time. And the word of God says, trust. Look to the hope. Stay strong. And understand that there's better things coming at the hand of God. That's what faith does. It counts on God for these things. But something else. Faith considers God capable. Now, in the particular passage we're looking into here, it considers Him capable of creating all we see from the unseen. And here's the big perspective. If God is creator, is anything too difficult for Him? And the answer to that is, of course not. If God can create everything that we see and know and experience, is anything beyond the scope of what God is able to do? 
God is able to do everything. Look at what the text says in verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. Now, literally, that says by God's Word. The idea, creation came into being by the spoken Word of God from nothing. The text goes on to say, so that what is seen is not made out of the visible. In other words, God didn't take existing matter and organize it into creation. God created everything from His spoken Word. Now, during the time in which this was written, people didn't accept the idea of one God. And when you read some of the explanations for creation and how the world came into being, there are some wild stories about how the world came into existence. All of them discounted the biblical account of God, one God creating everything that is. Does that sound familiar? Don't we face the same thing today? There are those who can't see how God could have done it, so they have to go to the scene, and they have to see all of these things, how they fit together, in order to accept what the Bible clearly reveals, that God is Creator. Faith trusts God. Nobody believes what they used to teach in the first century in opposition to what God has said. They were found to be wrong. Creation continues to be right. And so what the Word of God is telling us is this. We trust God to be capable, to be strong, to be the Creator. We trust God even though we can't see how it's done. This is what God calls us to do as people of faith. Now, after these introductory thoughts, the passage begins to move into some case studies of faith. And these are all people from the past. And they demonstrate some important principles about faith that we want to look into. And the first principle that we find is this. Carefully seek God above all else. And this point is evidenced by Abel. Notice what the fourth verse says. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks, even though he is dead. Here is the story of Cain and Abel, the first murder in Scripture. And what happened? If you remember the story, Abel and Cain had come to worship God. Abel came with a sacrifice of his best. He sacrificed before God, worshiping Him, accepting what God would seek of Him. He trusted God to worship God in God's way. Then we have Cain. Cain decided that he could come to God any way that he chose. That he could set the terms of worship. He didn't have to come to God in God's way. He could come to God in any way that he chose to. Abel demonstrated faith. Cain demonstrated the idea that I will do what I want to do and God must adjust to my terms. 
And so what do we have? In the book of Genesis, and by the way, you can read about Cain and Abel in the book of Genesis chapter 4, we find this. Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits from the soil as an offering to the Lord, but Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So look at Cain's response. Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Now, what would have been the appropriate response to God if God said, what you did isn't satisfactory? It would have been humility, repentance, a desire to make things right. What would you have me do then, Lord? But no, what happened? Cain became angry, and since he couldn't do anything to God, he did it to his brother and murdered him. As a matter of fact, the text goes on with an exchange between God and Cain. And notice God says to Cain this, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you'll be accepted. So here's the offer. Adjust what you're doing. Believe what I say. And everything will be all right. He's giving him an opportunity for a redo. But then this warning. If you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. When we go our own independent way, apart from faith, we go into this spiral of sin. And that, I think, is a profound point that we find in this. Sin crouches at our door, waiting for us to resist God so that it might lead us astray. Faith leads us toward God. Lack of faith away. Faith causes us to seek God. Demanding our own independent way will drive us further and further and further away from God. And that's the point that we need to see. Abel chose to worship God in God's way. Then we move to Enoch. Notice the text says this about Enoch in verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken from life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And we're going to pause there for just a moment, and we're going to talk about Enoch. Enoch is someone who is just barely mentioned in the Scripture. Barely a paragraph is devoted to him. As a matter of fact, here in the book of Hebrews, as much is said about Enoch here as was said in the book of Genesis. And yet, he's held up as a person of faith. Look at what's said about him in Genesis. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Now, I don't want you to miss an important part of this passage. He walked with God 300 years. It's talking about a life of consistency, a life of faith. 
And I would submit to you that during those 300 years, he grew in that walk. He sought God. He honored him with his life. 300 years of consistency is pretty awesome. And that's what we see with Enoch. So here the Word of God is upholding him as an example. It's telling us that Enoch was a person that walked so closely with God that God took him into his presence. That's amazing. It only happens one other time in Scripture with a prophet. But here is Enoch walking with God, taken into God's presence. And what do we see about him? Notice that fifth verse says, he was taken and he was commended as one who pleased God. So what does that say about his life? Verse 6, I think, expresses what it was about Enoch that made him such a person of faith. Notice what the sixth verse says. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So obviously, Enoch was a man of faith. It just said he pleased God. So here's the explanation. He had faith. And then notice what this faith causes. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Two criteria. God exists. And God rewards those who seek Him. This is the point that the writer of Hebrews wanted to drive home to us. God wants us to be people of faith. Now what does it mean to believe that God exists? It means more than just saying, yeah, there's some higher power out there. It means I accept the God of revelation, the God who has revealed Himself through Scripture. And I don't fashion my own idea about who God is, and that's the God who exists in my mind. I go to God's revelation, and I find what God has said about himself, and that is what forms my understanding of who God is. That is the God who exists. Not the God of my imagination. Not the God that I construct out of some ideas that are unique to me or to others. He is the God of revelation. The God who is. But then I also trust that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, once again, easy when things are going great. I can trust that God will reward me because, hey, he's rewarding me already. Things are really good. I'm enjoying this. Life is good. But what about those times where there are questions that just can't be answered? There is such profound pain that you don't know if you can take your next breath. I saw a very godly couple face what no couple should have to face this week as Omega and Elsie had to bury their son. Profound sorrow. Deep, deep distress. And yet faith. To trust God in the unseen. This is what God wants us to do. To trust that ultimately they have the reward of eternal life in heaven, they will see their son again and they rest in that hope. God wants us to have that kind of faith. A faith that trusts him even when things are difficult. 
But then the text goes on. As we continue our cases of faith in the past, we go on to see that not only do those who have faith carefully seek God above all else, but they commit to obey God's revealed will. In other words, their faith drives their behavior. And that's brought out in the next several examples. The first example is that of Noah. Look at verse 7. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world, and he became heir of a righteousness that comes from faith. Now let's talk about this verse. Noah, we're all familiar with Noah's ark. We know that the world was to be destroyed by flooding and by rain, and that was something that no one had ever seen or even heard of. So God tells Noah, build an ark. No one had ever built an ark. No one even knew what an ark was. But Noah followed God's directive down to the last cubit. He worked as he was ridiculed. He preached. Had no one respond for 120 years as he worked on the ark. And yet, he believed. So what was the outcome? By his faith, he condemned the world. Now, what does that mean? Here's the idea. His righteousness that was produced by faith in God demonstrated the rest of the world to be faithless. Had they come to Noah's faith in God, they would have been spared. But because they chose to reject what God had revealed, they faced condemnation. That's the idea. They faced condemnation because they did not embrace the faith that Noah had. And then it goes on to say, he became heir of the righteousness that comes from faith. Hebrews talks a lot about our inheritance and what we have to look forward to because of our faith. Just as Noah experienced deliverance and ultimately a good life, What do we find? We find deliverance from sin and the hope of eternal life in the presence of God our Father. So the Word of God is calling us to respond as Noah responded. When God came to Noah and said, I'm going to destroy the world, you build an ark. Noah didn't say, yeah, right, okay. And then put it off and procrastinate and not go about the business that God had called him to do. He didn't say, I believe you're going to destroy the world, but you know that whole ark thing, that's a lot of work. I would just soon not go there if it's all the same to you, God. He didn't do that. His faith produced action. He responded to God's revealed will, and he and his family were the beneficiaries. And this is what God wants us to do, to respond to his revealed will. Second case study. Abraham. Abraham was willing to change his whole life in obedience to what God said. Look at verse 8. 
By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, and did, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Now, this says a mouthful. As we know, Abraham lived in what is now modern-day Iraq. And if you look at the red arrow there on the screen, you see the trek that he had to make in order to be obedient to God. Now, this wasn't a matter of jumping in an SUV and throwing all of the possessions in a U-Haul and making the way over. This was a dangerous trek. He was living in a comfortable and familiar vicinity, and he moves to a completely hostile area. His faith required a great deal of him in order to follow what God called him to do, to respond to God's revealed will. And so when the Word of God upholds Abraham as an example, it talks about his faithfulness to leave all that he had seen, all that he had known, to go to a strange place and live as a sojourner, living in tents as a nomad without a permanent home. God wants us to understand that when we really believe in Him, no commitment is too great. No request that God would ask of us is too great. Faith acts on what God calls us to do. There is obedience. Look at what the 10th verse says. He was looking forward to the city whose foundations and architect and builder is God. Isn't it great to know that Abraham looked at these things and said, God has something more. And even though I don't experience the fulfillment of all that God has said in this life, I know that I have it in the next. And he was willing to suffer in order to see that city that's promised here in this text. You know, we have very much the same promise. We're sojourners on this earth. We're here, but for a short time, this is not our home. These bodies are only tents. The Scripture says we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. That's our hope. That's our inheritance. And folks, if we have faith, that's what we live for. We live according to the eternal perspective. We don't look at this world and say, I'm going to get mine any way that I can. We look at this world and we say, I'm just passing through. I will be obedient to God because this is what I have to look forward to. God wants us to live in that manner. Final part of the passage. Consider God faithful to keep His promise. And here we see the example of Sarah. Verse 11 is translated differently than what we find in the NIV and almost every other translation. This is probably truer to the text. I don't know that I agree with the way the NIV translated this particular verse when you look at the original language. Uh, 
but the New American Standard did a great job translating it. And it says this, By faith, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she considered him faithful who had promised. God had promised that through Sarah and Abraham there would be a seed that would expand into many nations and many peoples. But here, as Sarah is upheld as an example, when you go back into the book of Genesis, you know what you find? Sarah wavered. At one point when she looked and said, I don't see this seed coming, I'm still barren, she invited Abraham to have a surrogate mother through Hagar, her handmaiden. And as a result, there has been generational division between the descendants of Hagar and the descendants of Sarah. Then, when God did make the promise by sending an angel, as the angel of the Lord was speaking to Abraham, we find in the book of Genesis something else. When Sarah heard it, what did she do? Anybody remember? She laughed. Again, wavering in her faith, but ultimately trusting. I find encouragement in this. There are times where our faith will be challenged and where we will waver. There will be times where we'll try another way and it will fail. But a true person of faith always comes back and says, I don't see the outcome, but I trust God. That's what God wants of us. To be people like Abraham and Sarah and Noah. And when you go into the book of Genesis and read the stories, and all of these are right out of the book of Genesis, you see failure, you see stumbling, but you see people who ultimately place their faith in God. And this is what God wants of us. He wants us to be people who trust Him. Look at the 12th verse in closing. And speaking of Abraham and Sarah, from this one man, I love this next statement, and he as good as dead, (laughs) came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. God fulfilled His promise. This morning... I encourage you to consider faith. Do you have a faith that trusts? That trusts God for the unseen? That counts on Him to be the God of character that He has revealed Himself to be? Do you have a faith that looks beyond what is seen to the unseen? Do you have an eternal perspective, understanding that it is the reward that we have when we appear before God that really counts? Or do we get discouraged by what goes on here on earth? You know, it's easy to get brought down by the things that are here on earth. It's easy to get entrapped in them. It's easy to get crushed by them. But we have the God who exists. The God who rewards those who earnestly seek Him. So my encouragement to you this morning 
earnestly seek God. Hold on to that faith. Trust God for the unseen. And know that God is and the rewarder of those who seek Him. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father,